This episode is brought to you by Harris Resort SoCal. Nestled against a rolling hillside and just down the road from Palomar Mountain, guests at Harris Resort SoCal can expect gorgeous views, friendly staff, available night and day to encourage everyone to have a great time. When I was there recently, I had a chance to dine at California's first and the nation's largest house kitchen. And it's true, the beef wellington and sticky toffee dessert are great. The restaurant is inspired by the hit TV show and features a menu approved by the Michelin star celebrity chef, Gordon Ramsay himself. Hope to see you all at Harris Resort SoCal in 2024. Well, my name is Guangdo. Uh, I am German Vietnamese. I currently live in Singapore. Here I work for Google's Vietnam team, something that I've been doing since 2019. I founded a community for Vietnamese professionals. It's a global community. So basically people like me, like you, everyone who's, um, who was raised um, overseas or who um, went overseas for work or for studies. And so this community, I have grown to uh, 30,000 members now. I'm excited to tell you more about uh, what I'm up to and what the community uh, is up to. Welcome to the Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all of... Where did you grow up? Uh, you said Germany, and how did your family get there? Yes, so the story is my parents are from the North, and um, back then, you know, the former... Um, Soviet unions, they had a pact with, with, with the Communist Party. And so a lot of Northern Vietnamese or Vietnamese in general were sent in the late 80s for receive work training in the former Soviet unions like uh, Czechoslovakia back then, Russia, Poland, uh, Bulgaria. And so my parents were part of that. My, my mom was uh, 20, I think, my, my dad, early 20s. And they were sent to or they were given the chance, so to say, to, to um, go to Prague. Uh, in the Czechoslovakia back then, and uh, they met there. They didn't leave Vietnam together, but they met there. You know, and they, they told me the story that um, back then they received work training, and, and it was a gender split. Uh, there was a camp for women, there was a camp for men, and uh, so they met at night. You know, <laughs> uh, very romantic, fell in love, and uh, then in 1990, what happened was the Berlin Wall fell in Germany. So the neighboring country, Germany, was also divided into East and West. And so uh, what happened was uh, Germany reunified. And as part of that, many Vietnamese from the former Soviet Union, because in 1990, the Soviet Union collapsed as well, went to, to Germany, basically, for the hopes of better economic uh, opportunities. And um, my parents were part of that. So uh, they immigrated to Germany. Um, I came in 93 and they stayed ever since. I uh, was born and raised there, and um, they arrived in central Germany. And um, I grew up there until I was six. And then they bought a restaurant from another Vietnamese family. The family had two restaurants and they bought one. So they took over operations, and this was in southern Germany. Stuttgart is, is the city called. Um, that's where, you know, Porsche, Mercedes, it's a very, automotive heavy um, um, city. That's where I basically spent my uh, year six to 18. Uh, my parents are still there, small town next to Stuttgart, uh, still running the restaurant. And I left to Munich with 18 to study. Um, and so that's where I grew up. What, what did you study uh, in Munich? 
I studied business and computer science, like a double uh, major program. And uh, I did a master's in that as well at the Technical University of Munich. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm a businessman slash computer scientist by training. That's a powerful combination. It's uh, yeah, it's uh, has proven to be a at least in in presenting myself, it's it's a strong narrative to use. Yeah, that's true in our current world. And what was it like for you to grow up in Germany as a Vietnamese boy? Yeah, that's a good question. Like I said, many Vietnamese came from from the former Soviet unions to um, to Germany, and and many of them ended up in Berlin or Eastern former Eastern Germany. My family ended up more southwards Germany, and so what was particular to my upbringing was that I didn't grow up around too many Vietnamese. Uh, my parents had a couple of friends, you know, but they were uh, adults, so I didn't have many peers in my age. Um, so I remember from age six onwards, before six, um, when we were still in central Germany, I had two best friends, <laughs> Long and Ming. And uh, we were three guys, the only three Vietnamese in, in the kindergarten. But then we split because of um, the restaurant opportunity that my parents took up on. And so um, from then on, I basically grew up with many other immigrants in Germany. I didn't uh, necessarily hang out much with, with other Germans. Um, reason being is that in Germany, there are many different immigrant groups. There's a huge Turkish population. There are many uh, people from the Slo Slovak um, countries, so I grew up with Bosnians, with Albanians, I grew up with Russians as well, and so we sort of formed a, a group of friends, very diverse, um, of immigrant Germans, so to say. So I grew up uh, amongst these cultures, and how you can imagine it is, um, those cultures are very different from, from Asian cultures, so um, I sort of had three cultures that I, I grew up with, one was the more Asian Vietnamese at home, um, the German one was in school because I, I had many um, German classmates as I went through the better schools uh, typically. And then after school, in my free time, I would usually hang out more with the immigrant groups. And so there, there was a lot of um, clash in, in cultures, I would say. Um, and um, growing up, you know, um, I had a good time just, just being a young boy, doing a lot of um, exploration. <laughs> I grew up in a small town, so there was a lot of boredom. And uh, what we did was uh, we played a lot of soccer, a lot of football. This was the only thing that mattered for, for many of us. Um, I was always someone who hang out mostly with, with boys, actually exclusively. And so uh, I, I grew up in a very, I, I should say, macho culture. Um, it's very typical for the more uh, immigrant groups in Germany. And so um, I learned up, uh, I, I grew up having to prove myself a lot, you know, in, in a more sportsman kind of way. <laughs> I also learned what, you know, very deep friendship was. Um, and so early teens, I, I didn't, I wasn't so curious uh, about my Vietnamese identity much. You know, I, I, I tried more to fit in into my peer group. I tried to fit in more into my, my, my group of friends. And um, I emulated, right? I, I became more and more culturally like them as well. So um, trying to prove myself a lot, a lot of, um, you know, became very competitive in terms of uh, uh, everything related to sports or, or proving to be strong 
or uh, you know standing for yourself. Um, and I, I still carry that with me uh, up until this day. Many Asians here, I, I live in Singapore now, would perceive me more as, as extroverted, would perceive me more as, as confident. I believe that that traces back, you know, that stems from uh, that time on, on, on the soccer field and, and with these kind of people. And so growing up was a lot of that. Um, and it changed a lot when I went to study um, in Munich because uh, the small town where I grew up, right, there was there was no university. It was very so everyone after 18 years um, would leave. So there's a lot of young population, a lot of very old population, but that sort of 20, 20s demographic would all uh, not be there. And so basically all the fun wasn't wasn't there either. And so when I went to Munich, which is more of a wealthy city in in, in Germany, um, the the kind of people that I would be exposed to would also change. Um, more German, you know, more more wealthy, more educated as well, because I went to more of the better universities in Germany. And so from then on, I started to um, be more conscious about my career. You know, I, I, I focus more on, on studying well. Whilst in 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 my teenage years, I was more focused on you know, trying to become a good football player, <laughs> having hopes, you know, of becoming professional even. Oh. Um, but those hopes were crushed with with sixteen, around sixteen, where you know reality uh, mm -hmm. hits. <laughs> um, but I never was like really, really good in school. You know, I, I always maintained well. Um, I did okay. Um, but my more sort of career drive and and more career focus just developed with my twenties when I, I I was in an environment where it was cool and it was, you know, being something honorable to be um, to be um, good and, and, and smart and, and, and successful in, in that sort of sense. Um, and so that came, yeah. And uh, then if I, should I just continue telling my story? Yeah, but let, let me let me stop you right there so I can ask, you know, your history and uh -huh. the other diaspora, Vietnamese diaspora history is a little bit different because of the opportunity that your parents had to go to Vietnam under the circumstances that they had left to Vietnam, left from Vietnam was very different. And your yes. upbringing is very different from, let's say, the Vietnamese diaspora in the United States, France and Australia, perhaps. And I that's one separate issue. But the other issue is Germany's very colorful. Let's shall we say colorful history yes. uh, during World War Two. And the question that I have is the the german viewpoint of uh race relations and identity uh as i can imagine and, and i'm only imagine you know only imagining how different it is being raised in germany and, and being around germans with that kind of history how was your uh vietnamese identity perceived to yourself in germany growing up in those years what was what did you think of yourself was it did the Germans point it out? Did they make fun of you? Did you know? Did they did they accept you? What are the ways that the Germans viewed Vietnamese at the time? I love that question. Um, so the first thing that that comes to mind is really that I, you know, not struggled a lot, but the one thing that I remember most vividly is my my name being um, misspelled or people struggling to. Uh, say my name right because uh 
Um, I now call myself Guang, but my full name is Guang Hui, right? And so these are two words, which is very common for us Vietnamese, right? Having two words as, as a name. Yeah. And um, for German, this is like really weird. People sometimes have middle names, but they would never use it in, you know, um, in using their name. And so one, I had two names on paper and also it was hard for them to spell, right? And in Vietnamese, if we say Hui, if you say it in German, it's it's more like a, a, a tone of, it's like Hui, it has no meaning, um, but it's easily to make fun of, mm. despite it not having any meaning. And so that's one thing that um, I remember very clearly that I was always remembered that I'm sort of different uh, than others because whenever the the teacher would read out names you know I, I know when she would stop that that it would be my turn now she's now trying to pronounce uh, the weird name on on, on the list right <laughs> so this is one thing um, if you um, would ask me more about the, the discrimination racism um, yeah. element I didn't face that um, in a hostile way um, what I, for instance, heard of my American counterparts, from my American counterparts, or people even growing up in Eastern Germany who, who faced more of, you know, more host, hostile racism, discrimination, even, you know, um, uh, violence in, in some sense. I didn't have that. Um, I had some, you know, mockings here and there. Uh, people made fun of, of, you know, tiny eyes and all of that. But it was more in a fun way, you know, yeah. typical children's kind of uh, way. And so I never really felt, you know, um, um, slighted or, or alienated by, by the people uh, because of that. Quite quite the opposite, actually. Um, if I think back about, about the question that you asked uh, about what sort of um, made me feel Vietnamese, right? Or how do I, how did I perceive my Vietnamese zenith? Yeah. Um, then um, what I what I mentioned in the beginning, you know, comparing myself to my peers back then, I always felt that I was more on the weaker side. You know, I'm I'm, I'm skinny naturally already. I'm uh, shorter than my my uh, other peers, and so what I felt is I, I always was I always felt weaker, right? just biologically, physically, um, um, which wasn't a, a too big, big issue because on on the soccer field I was uh, fast. Yeah, <laughs> I had a good you know uh, technique. Um, but this was one of the things because I, I grew up with red, very manly, very strong people. Like uh, the, the the Turkish more Balkan people would grow beards very early, mm. and they would you know develop more manly features more early than me. My my beard grew relatively late. Like even now it's not very. Um, yeah. Even <laughs> and so um, this is more on the on the physical side, right? Uh, I was reminded um, being Vietnamese when when uh, I came into my teenage years, you know, when, when bodies develop and when uh, boys become men, um, and I was just a little bit slower when it came to that, and it was very apparent, very clear when I was uh, comparing myself to to the others, because naturally we were comparing a lot, you know, it's it's. Uh, uh, soccer is a, a physical sport, and so you you are in the changing rooms. You know you you, um, you see everyone's bodies, and, and some people just develop faster than others. And this is one of the things I I remember back. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I ask this be, be, because you eventually make your way to Vietnam uh, and you mm-hmm. work, you, you know, in, in, in Asia. And so that's yes. like sort of like, I, I wonder what the impetus, why, what was the reason that, you know, you began to sort of think of your way back to, to Asia? And so, what you know, the journey of getting back to Vietnam and to Asia is interesting to me. And it's interesting to see sort of what you were growing up with. and But it doesn't sound too culturally tough. It was more like the physical side, the manly, the male side of, of, of yeah. competition. So what led you to uh, going to Asia and, and spending more time there? Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's, it wasn't one incidence of an event um, that happened to me, but it was very gradual. And part of it was me just growing up. That's how I would put it. That's, that's the real version of it. So um, when I moved to Munich, I studied there. I was also in a big city where I had more exposure to other Asians and Vietnamese as well. And so I had a group of Vietnamese friends with, with whom I very easily connect, connected, you know, and I saw myself in them. And um, I, you know, just just felt a lot of things that I would relate with with them easily. Um, and so that sort of sparked the initial um, initial interest as well. I had a Vietnamese German girlfriend as well at, at, at some point. So with her, it was more naturally that we would um, also talk more about commonalities, you know, um, cultural things, uh, cultural values as well that just came and just me growing up, you know, I started to read more upon history. I ate more Vietnamese food as well. <laughs> so I didn't have too much access to Vietnamese cuisine in, in my small town, like, besides the food for my parents. And so everything came together, right? And um, so there was one sort of cultural stream where I just wanted to discover and, and explore more. And then on the other hand, there was another stream of me wanting to find out what I want to do after school. So that was the career path and that was the, the cultural heritage uh, uh, part, right? And those two combined then, um, I also read up, re- read more about economy. I spoke more with uh, Vietnamese from overseas as well because that's when I started to um, found the, the community. A bit, a bit story there um, was really that I was looking for jobs for myself mm. on LinkedIn. I was starting to use LinkedIn more. I set up my profile. Uh, uploaded my profile picture, filled out everything. And back then I wanted to get into BC. I, I still remember it was uh, one of the um, hotter jobs back then. <laughs> and BC is a industry, you know, or, or yeah. Uh, you mean venture, capital. Where, venture where, capital? Yeah, venture capital, yeah, where it's very difficult to get in. It's, it's quite exclusive. It's a small seat. And so it's very relationship driven. It's really about who you know and, and you know, warm intros and all of that. Um, but my parents being working class, I didn't have connections basically anywhere, not even yeah. to, to normal corporates or, or companies. And what I did was then just thinking that there are Vietnamese out there who are ahead of me, who are more successful than me, who might be willing to help me as a fellow Vietnamese, right? The only missing link would be really to have that connection. How would they know that I would need help and how, you know, they offer help to me and so what i did was i was looking for existing vietnamese groups on linkedin i didn't find properly moderated ones properly set up ones and so i just started it with the very generic name uh, overseas vietnamese and um, 
how did you know how did you know that they weren't proper like what were what did you mean by the groups weren't set up properly wasn't moderated properly wasn't ran properly what do you mean by that it's interesting so the name, that you yeah, noticed yeah. that yes so um one it was just just a hunch you know the, the names weren't they, they were like it workers in vietnam and and the moderators were um having a logo as a profile photo all of that you know or groups with just 20 members and so there wasn't just any proper uh group where i felt um this is pro properly moderated it's properly structured there's a meaning behind it there's a purpose behind it there's a team behind it um or you know all those facebook groups where you go in and you just see spam and, and a lot of like random posts no one is is, is filtering or no one is, is checking the, the, the quality of the post. And so that's what I, I stumbled upon. That's what I found on LinkedIn. And I also felt back then LinkedIn wasn't as, you know, as, as prominent in Germany at least. And so I just started one, um, right? I just, I just started one. And uh, the thing about Vietnamese, about us is our names are very easy to identify, right? We have very particular names. Um, so if you see a Nguyen, you know they are Vietnamese, 99%. And so what I did was just inviting all the Nguyen's from all the all the top companies into the group. <laughs> so the group uh, grew pretty fast because one simple LinkedIn search would reveal all the Vietnamese, right? And then uh, I, I added all into the group and from there it just grew. Um, it grew and people joined me on the mission and wanted to be part of the organizing of the management team. Um, and I onboarded Mark. And then we had a team of, of, of folks who then um, we then set out to organize various things. Um, and up until this day, we run a team of volunteers and we are in over 40 plus cities in the world. And there are meetups um, every month in, in almost uh, all cities where there's a Vietnamese population. Um, so this is fast forward, but back then, you know, just me creating the group uh, was LinkedIn. already... You, you created yeah. the group on LinkedIn, you said? Yes, that's where we started. That's where it originated. It's amazing. Yeah. It's what an amazing origin story. You know, these things like in business, it's like you find what is missing. You find the niche yeah. that people need and you create something that is uh, really a value to the community that you're that you need yourself. And with a hole in that sort of that segment of the world, you know, you yeah. can create something of, of, of a lot of meaning and value. Correct. Yeah. So. This is, yeah, you just said it. It's it's really a community that I would want to have myself, you know, that I would want to be a member myself or that I would have wanted to find myself back then. And so um, didn't exist and, and, and just started it. Um, not with much thought behind it because, you you know, like I just told the, the initial motivation behind it was more selfish, so was more benefiting me. And now, of course, it has, it has flipped and now I'm, I'm much more, we're trying to serve the members, trying to uh, create quality meetups around the world. Um, but yeah, the origin origin story is really from my own yeah need. necessity. Yeah. Now, what what is the what is the main directive? What is the main mission of overseas Vietnamese? Yeah, it, it, this hasn't changed too much. Um, it it uh, over time. Uh, quite quickly crystallized that uh, the main purpose is really to connect our members. That's one, connect our people, our diaspora globally. 
But then too beyond that is to um, really uplift and, and um, lift everyone, right? And so what we wanted to do is always not only bringing our people together, but also bringing people together in a meaningful way, right? We, we don't want to be classified as a social, um, social club, you know, or just social meetups where people just come and, and barbecue and have fun. But we also want to create connections where people can benefit each other, right? And so what we do is we have a mentorship program as well where we match make people. Um, and in our meetups, we always uh, put play, put emphasis on having at least one agenda item where people would share a, a story or share something inspirational or share even in workshop style some learnings or insights from the industry. So what we want is always have a, a vibe or an element of learning as well and self-development and mutual support. Right? And friendship from that can um, develop, which uh, we encourage, but that's not the, the primary meeting reason, right? Um, and so that's sort of the distinguishment to maybe um, other social groups or more local groups that we really um, claim to be the community for Vietnamese professionals. And, and it's really aimed at um, creating value in, in, in the sense of, of professional value and self-development and, and mutual benefit for us. That, that's a great mission. And I think there's a lot of intentionality behind setting up these meetups because without that, it's just like you said, it's just a barbecue and people just get together to hang out. Now, when is the first time you got to Vietnam? Oh, <laughs> this was when I was either seven or eight. So uh, I remember being on, on, on Vietnam Airlines <laughs> and um, it was summer vacation time. In Germany and so I actually wasn't so keen to go that's what I remember and back then I was playing Game Boy a lot you know Pokemon on Game Boy I remember I was very consumed in that <laughs> and I wasn't so keen to come back to Vietnam and um, I arrived there you know with my parents um, and it was true that I didn't enjoy it, it that much because when you go with your parents uh, yeah. at least for my family you would visit everyone you would uh, take naps at, at noontime, which I hated as a child, of course. So I, I really longed to be back in, in Germany with my friends being on the soccer field or going uh, swimming. Um, and I remember just being a lot on the Game Boy and, and not you know being too interested in, in Vietnam. Um, but then from then on, we went to Vietnam. We, we flew to Vietnam every two years. And over time, you know, I, I opened up um, as I also got more mature. Um, initially, I resisted to come, um, but my parents still forced me, luckily. And, you know, as I, as I got older than 14, 15 years, started to converse more with my grandparents, with my relatives, asking them about their, their, their background, their history, what, what their experience. And so then the, the breakthrough was really when I went with my, my ex-girlfriend, my then-girlfriend, um, explore Vietnam without my parents. That's yeah. really when I, I saw the country, you know, with, with different eyes and more with an um, explorer lens, um, which then, you know, made me really appreciate, appreciate it much, much more. But yeah, it, it was a journey. So you see, it, it started off very, you know, uh, lukewarm, but then over time, it became a, a very strong passion of mine. Still, I, still I hear the story all the time about yeah. the first trip going with your mom and dad. I think that's kind of a mistake that most parents, I mean, at, at seven or eight years old, we, you know, most, cause I'm taking my kids back. They're like very young, six, seven at the time. And I think that 
Vietnamese children, second generation diaspora children should go back if they can by themselves the first trip. One or two trips back by themselves first. I, that's just my inclination because I keep hearing these stories that they get turned off going with their mom and dad, being forced to. I was an older guy. I was like in my 20s when I went back the first time with my mom and dad. That was great because okay. I was fully formed. But I think yes. when I look back now, if young people went back by themselves, if they can, without their parents on the first trip or two to get to know Vietnam by themselves, the, the next time they go back with their parents, second time, third time they go back with their parents, there's going to be so many more questions that they have for their mom and dad. And the, the comfortability and the love for being in Vietnam would be at a different level. Yeah, yeah totally agree. Yeah, it would have been completely different for me. Yeah. If, if I, I had a different experience back then. But, you know, I really saw a very narrow Vietnam, you know, yeah. just, just being with my relatives. And I wasn't really allowed to, to go anywhere. You right. Know? My, my parents really, until today, still have this notion of Vietnam being very dangerous, you know, don't be very careful, don't don't go out alone. And so um, I was always a kid who wanted to explore a lot, yeah. you know, I don't like to be carried and you know, I don't like to, to chill. <laughs> and so I, I, I suffered double, yeah, just being at home and not yeah, being allowed to go out. And yeah, it was boring. But um, yeah, over time, it, it uh, came, luckily. Yeah, and the thing about Vietnam is, is is so much bigger than we can imagine as children or people that we go with our parents. Because when we go with our parents, many times, especially, I mean, most people are from the countryside, right? Originally, they have family in the countryside, so they spend a lot of time with their families in the countryside and villages and stuff like that. But yeah. if they get to travel to all parts of Vietnam, Hanoi, Da Nang, uh, Saigon, and they get to go to a lot of different places, especially now because it's so developed that they get to see the essence of different cities of Vietnam. And it's very different from place to place. It's not what we think, but if we get locked into uh, the village that our parents grew up and all of their friends are from their family, grandparents, then it becomes a very sort of myopic view of Vietnam. And you go back to America and you're like, I don't want to do that again. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm, I'm still in the stage of exploring Vietnam. Like you said, it's so, flavorful and, and so diverse, you know. Uh, I even remember back then for me, Ho Chi Minh City and, and Hanoi, cannot say it, but uh, wasn't so different for me, actually. <laughs> it wasn't very different, but now, you know, being uh, older and, and being much more uh, attentive, you know, and much more observative and much more um, out there, um, I, I see how, how stark the differences are, you know, and, and across yeah. Vietnam, what, you know, nuances and, and what, what just just flavors and colors um there are across the country it's it's really fascinating this episode is brought to you by somkai distillery my only go-to gin company established in 2018 somkai distillery is vietnam's first gin distillery founded by daniel win a vietnamese american from southern california no matter how many people i have at my parties we are always pouring somkai gin somkai gin is handcrafted in small batches and prioritizes using botanicals and ingredients that are native and heirloom to Vietnam. The result is a product uniquely Vietnamese in taste and aroma. Somkai is now growing to include rice wine and traditional Vietnamese herbal liqueurs similar to Amaro. Somkai prides itself in Vietnam from the farmers who grow the fruits and herbs to the artists behind the artwork and design. 
Somkai is a community effort of people who are proud to be Vietnamese and collectively embody the spirit of Vietnam. You know, I, I, uh, I'm, I listen to the conversation and I think about your parents and they left different circumstances than, you know, all of the other diaspora. And we don't get to explore that as much as Vietnamese Americans. You know, our story is refugees. Our story is we left the war and it was on boats and it was a very different situation than being sent to, uh, to Europe to study or to create a new life. How do how does your parents feel about returning to Vietnam to live today? How do they feel about how Vietnam has developed? Do they ever have an intention of going back to Vietnam to live? Yes, they they did not up until recently. Now they are being more open to it. You know, they they left Vietnam um, with the intention to not return, um, and they are very grounded and very rooted in. Germany now, you know, very good friends with the neighbors, bought a, bought a nice house and already planned their retirement there. Um, mm. And so when I shared with them that I wanted to, to go to Vietnam or, you know, close to Vietnam and to Asia at least, they were very worried and, and they were very against it. You know, they said, you know, you have it all here in Germany, you have a, a degree, why don't you work here and then stay here with us? And um, when it then was Singapore and Google, they were um, they changed their mind. They were okay. Um, sounds good at least. And then just recently, they they visited me. You know, when whenever they visited Vietnam, for them it was the same like me as a child, right? They never really took the time to travel. They never really took the time to explore. Whenever they come, it was like duties for them. You know, they they had the responsibility to just just visit everyone. We have a big family um, to give relatives money you know so whenever it, it was it never felt really enjoyable for them and, and they shared that openly with me right and so this time they came visit me in Singapore and I said let's let's go for a weekend to Vietnam but let's not tell anyone and let's you know just oh, wow. see the new Vietnam yeah because oh. you know even even for me I, I, I came in two or three years uh, cadence right and every time things move and change so fast right never and now me being yeah yeah me being um, at Google as well in the Vietnam team, I, I see firsthand you know, how important the market is, how fast-growing economically it is, and so there are plenty of opportunities, especially for video like us, right, um, and for everyone. And so my parents and I think many older generations overseas um, are are either blind to it, you know, they they just don't get exposed to it, they don't see it, they don't read it, they don't know it, and they don't try to, you know, even they're not even open to the idea, right? Because um, the Vietnam they left is a very different one. But so this one, um, this time around, um, I, I went with them to Vietnam and I really booked the, which is the the tallest tower in, in, in Ho Chi Minh, I forgot the name, um, but I booked them a, a room there, you know, to really give them the, <laughs> the very polished, new, modern Vietnam. <laughs> and they were very surprised actually, very positive. Is it the, the landmark? The landmark, correct, yeah, the landmark. <laughs> And you know yeah. we, we drove around in, in grab cars and, and and good restaurants you know by now vietnam is not that cheap anymore right i i, I earn in singapore i spend in in vietnam sometimes if you know we go to the more upscale uh things there's not that much difference and so <laughs> um you see that things just going upwards there right and, and yeah. my parents this time really were um 
uh, surprised by the progress and, and seeing all the young people uh, making progress, seeing my colleagues at Google who are all, you know, uh, well-educated and, and, and also Vietnam being much more safer than they assume it would be or at least feel safer. Um, yeah, just make them open to the idea to at least split their time, right, yeah. when they retire because I for sure know that I will be in this region. Um, I I will split my time between Singapore and Vietnam for sure. If not, I will you know um, even buy property in Vietnam and, and live there. Um, and so I'm my parents' uh, oldest son. I have a little sister as well. And uh, if they you know love me and if they miss me, <laughs> they have no choice other than at least visit me. Uh, and if they retire, you know they can extend that visit to one, two, three months. And I think by now. Um, they're very open to that, to the idea. And uh, me talking to many other Vietnamese, I, I think you know, for some parents, it's it's a much more difficult journey to to reconnecting with Vietnam. You know, for others, it's easier. My parents are somewhat in between, but they have a very high level of trust in me. You know, they they really have confidence in me deciding what's best for for me and my future family as well, and me knowing what I'm doing and. Uh, so yeah, me just just being very me being very bullish and confident myself about Vietnam just makes them feel um, having a higher trust towards the country as well. That that is an amazing uh, perspective, and I want to ask you about Singapore and Vietnam because uh, the prox the close proximity of the two countries, but the distance in terms of financial and law and the way society is set up. Um, and it might be an ignorant question that you know uh, that you can discover this on the internet. But I want to ask somebody who is living between these two worlds: How much further, and how can we get Vietnam as close to where Singapore is as a society? Oh, it's a it's a it's a good question, but I think you know it's it's hard to compare um, apples to apples. Singapore is is a small country, you know, and so. Um, it's easier to govern. Um, Vietnam is is historically much more more rich, right? And and is is much more deeply rooted in, in many different cultural um, uh, historical aspects as well. Um, what I you know um, think is is the missing piece you know, is is really and I try to not to be too controversial here, right? Um, yeah. But yeah. a, lot, a lot of it has to do also with with the way people think and the way you know um, some political structures are just set up, you know. And so um, it's, that's what I also said about the size of the countries, right? Singapore is, is easier to govern just by by size of the nation um, and the the conditions and and the, the the you know starting points were different for both of, of the countries. Um, and Singapore just had a very, very strong and smart leader, I think, and that just came at a uh, at a very good time, you know. Um, so I'm talking about Lee Kuan Yew. Yeah, it's one man, one man that one man. did did and, the country so much yes. good. And so, um, well, people often call Lee Kuan Yew a benevolent dictator, right? And yeah. so he, you know, for for countries like like emerging countries, sometimes democracy is not the best solution. Yeah. Right? And this is a more complex topic. I don't even want to give my, my you know, full opinion there, but it's an observation, you know, for, for some people, 
they're just or some countries and population they're just not ready for for democracy maybe um, and so Lee Kuan Yew came at a good time where you know he he powered and was someone who wanted the best for his people and he was very very capable as well and this uh, in combination with a small willing country uh, a country that is you know um, uh, open for change that, that that struggled for for a long time and and, and faced you know a lot of risk and dangers from neighboring countries and, and back then also the japanese um just developed to become a very hardworking, very um Know, very successful story of a nation, right? Politically and economically. Um, Vietnam might be, you know, a couple of years behind that. You know, we 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 cannot tell for sure now whether it will ever reach, you know, that level of of um, of Singapore. What we do know though is that the economic growth thus far looks very promising, yeah? um, and. Now, I think better than me analyzing more, more macro level, I can share more about what I perceive sure. on the ground, where I feel, you know, the, the countries differ in, in terms of the ways of working and the ways of thinking. And so um, what both have in common is, is sort of the drive to work, right? And, and the, the same sort of values towards working hard and towards wanting a better life for, for themselves. Um, in Vietnam, however, you know it's it's a bigger nation. It's it's more split as well in in different sort of groups as well. Um, you have different kinds of industries. You have different kinds of um, economical groups, and so Vietnam was always very, or like recently very industrial heavy, very manufacturing heavy, right? Yeah. Vietnam relied a lot on 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 cheap labor, which was uh, driving the growth as well. So you see a lot of like the the apples or the Foxconns who come there to develop or to produce the the airports, uh, Nike before to produce uh, shoes, uh, clothing a lot, and so this is all driven by cheap labor, which you know um, resembles China um, a couple of decades ago, and so this was sort of one of the competitive edges that Vietnam had, and now Vietnam is sort of at an inflection point, right? And this is also more my personal opinion. Uh, different people have different opinions on that, but I believe. You know, to really push through and become a more developed nation like Singapore or other Western countries, Vietnam also has to make the switch to a more high-tech industry or more service-based industry, right? Um, and move away from the, the low-cost and cheap labor cost uh, sort of structure. And what happens is a lot of the young people nowadays are extremely strong in, in technical abilities and and you know, very well educated, at least in, in the math and STEM fields. And so that's why, also one reason why I'm very bullish on, on Vietnam becoming a future tech uh, nation as well, because the raw talent is there, right? Uh, and what it now needs is probably more skills around company building, around, you know, um, company building, leadership skills, business acumen even, um, beyond the, the small business and, and family business kind of uh, thinking. And so that's one thing that I think, you know, through more internet in international exposure, more internet exposure, more people returning, more um, experts coming in and just everything being more globalized, that Vietnam is on a good track to actually become um, a developed nation rather sooner and a tech hub as well for the Southeast Asian re region.
rather sooner. When it is, I don't know. You know um, but I'm I'm quite certain that it will uh, happen, at the, and that we sort of make that switch and don't have to, you know, only rely too much on on, on tourism and, and and all of the other industries. But we can be a very tech um, successful tech story um, globally as well. You know, we have all the components of everything: industrial mm-hmm. industrialization. You know, heavy on factories. We have um, a very literate population. We have such beautiful tourism. We have natural resources. We have all the things that can really make Vietnam one of the superstar countries coming out of Southeast Asia. And I have a lot of confidence that it's happening. I, I really do. I, the more I talk to guests on this podcast, the more I have hope. Uh, the United States is is very dedicated to sending their embassies, their you know their resources to help. Vietnam become a very stable and very prosperous society. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you know, with with OVD, that's also one of the one part of the mission that I sort of personally drive as well. I I also want to sort of um, how do I say this without sounding too pumped? Like I I want to role model that that's sort of one model for people like us as well. You know, going considering. Vietnam or, or Southeast Asia to be, you know, the place where you you, you have your career, you know, and where you, you start your business as well. And so um, there there are success stories already of people coming back, my, my friend Hao from etc., who I highly admire, you know, a lot of video coming there, even doing, you know, traditional businesses um, like F&B or, you know, starting a gym. This is something that I learned more and more as well, you know, me coming from the West, me consuming a lot of Western media and newsletters and podcasts. There are many conventional ways of being successful. Yeah? And um, conventional in the sense of starting a business, uh, having a venture capital case, you know, raising money um, or being a VC, all of these more conventional um, signals or, or measures of, of success. Here in a more emerging market, you know, you can also have more traditional businesses, which um, would maybe feel like a failure in a Western country more and more, you know. Um, say, for instance, you start a restaurant. If you're, you have a master's degree or bachelor's degree and you start a restaurant in the West, it would sort of feel like you, you are underselling yourself, yeah, yeah. right? Um, whereas here, it's, it's, it's quite the opposite. You, know? yeah. you can become very, very successful as a business owner. And business ownership, being an entrepreneur in Vietnam, is, is more the status quo, you know. There, there are not many institutions of, of um, high reputation and of high pedigree in Vietnam. And so the way to, to be successful is really to have one or two or three or a couple of successful businesses that you start up, right? Um, I see, you know, more and more younger generations chasing more the, the more Western notions of, of success, you know, the, the degree kind of driven uh, success, which, which is also fine, which I'm, I have been doing as well. But... I'm just starting to open my mind more towards the opportunity of, of starting more traditional things. Uh, maybe just going to Vietnam and, and you know start a, a restaurant yeah. chain. You you <laughs> know just, the um, yeah. the the generation that was going back 20 years ago is a funny flip. It's a funny situation where 20 years ago young men and women would go back to Vietnam and they would be sort of celebrated as Viet Kieu and you know the respect and. You, there were things that uh, the 
returning Vietnamese diaspora would 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 find themselves in a situation of people sort of uh, really wanting to take care of them and 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 really uh, showing them a lot of, a lot of respect. But things change. Um, it is not that way anymore. Uh, right. And the the humble, the humility of of going back as a Vietnamese overseas coming to Vietnam. It, the dynamics are certainly different because the sophistication of many returning Vietnamese overseas have uh, created a place where oftentimes the Vietnamese in Vietnam and the returning overseas have blended and have been be, been working with each other for at least two decades now. And sometimes you can't tell who's who anymore. You can't tell if that young kid was born in the U.S., or the young kid was born in Vietnam because they speak fluent English. Kids coming out of RMIT or Fulbright University, those kids are speaking fluent Vietnamese, uh, fluent English, fluent Vietnamese, and you have no idea where they're coming from. And you realize that they might be coming from even ultra successful families that are entrepreneurs or big government people that have success and their leverages are different than what we have in, in the diaspora. So it's a brand new day now in, in Vietnam when we return um, as diaspora, as Vietnamese overseas. Yeah, yeah. I, I hear that, that, you know, that notion a lot that we overseas are often privileged that we, we were able to enjoy a, a more Western education and, and all of that, you know. But uh, me now being here on the ground, I just see the, the smarts of the people and no, it, it now it, it this argument doesn't hold much no, too no. much anymore for me because really it, it really mixed like you said it, it blends you know you have you have very um, good people from overseas coming home but you also have very good people from 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 locally um, and you have you know more the lifestyle people who just want to come to Vietnam who don't aspire to to be too successful and just enjoy their life there so it now really blends you have with different classes, different kind of people, different kind of priorities across both yeah. sides, you know, and and, and there's no real, uh, like no real advantage on that is good too much towards anything uh, too much if you were born there or here, right? Yeah, um, there's really no advantage yeah, either way, and I yeah, think the internet, of life potential, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think the internet has really sort of created mm -hmm. this level playing field. You can really. Uh, take advantage of the knowledge that you can find online. Yeah, yeah, and I see even you know culturally you could even argue, and I see this a lot uh, with the people that I meet. This in the Western world, you know, sometimes you grow up even too, you know, even though you have more access and more um, um, opportunities in terms of career in in school, you also have the, an environment that is thinking differently. You know, in Vietnam, the 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 drive and, and the focus of the parents is still very heavily on, on education. And although, you know, the families in the West who are Vietnamese, the parents still emphasize that. For instance, for, for my parents, I know, they always wanted me to, to be good in school. Still, you hang out with, with, with other folks, right? You grow up with other kids where that emphasis is maybe not as strong as in Vietnam, right? So comparing yourself with grades and comparing yourself by you know the performance that you yeah. deliver at school, this is something much much more pronounced in, in Vietnam, right, or in Asia. 
and in, in, in the West where, for instance, where I grew up, um, school, like being successful in school wasn't that of a top priority, right? And so the environment that you grew up in, even though you're more privileged, might still make you, in the end, coming out not as, you know, as smart as some very hardworking kid in Vietnam who maybe didn't have the access to better schools, right? But just worked out, outworked you, basically. And so I see this a lot, this, this really this blend of people being, you know, now skilled differently across uh, overseas and local. And there's, you know, you find good people everywhere. That's a great point. And, and I worry uh, over the next few decades that Vietnam will reach a pinnacle of success with the ideas of being educated and they will, their future generations will, will be like Americans where, you know, where we take education for granted. We don't grind as hard. We don't push as hard. The quality of life that we want in America is a few generations uh, ahead of the Vietnamese because the Vietnamese now are still really hungry for success. So you're right. The environment of everybody around you wanting to push for education and wanting a better life and a better country to prosper is very different in America now. America is, you know, we, uh, we are at a point where we don't want to grind as hard. And I'm, I'm, I'm speaking in generalities. But yeah. the ability to really say, let me cancel the noise. Let me put my, my nose to the grind and, and really work hard like we did in the 80s and the 90s uh, in the earlier generation. It's kind of gone. Yeah. It has a lot to do with, with culture as well. Yeah. Um, this is also a very big element that I see coming from or seeing both sides, really. I'm now I'm now 30, right? And so a lot of my Western friends, or most of them, you know, they, they don't really think about family much. You know, 30 is still, at least um, on the male side, is still young, yeah, still, yeah. you know, find yourself, enjoy your life, you're in your prime. That sort of notion, right? And we also relatively, in Germany at least, start working relatively late. You know, education is free. We do our master's, which is two years. Many of my friends start working with seven, 27, 28, 29, wow. right? Um, and so they haven't seen the real world for too long, right? Whereas in Asia, uh, and it's the same across Singapore and, and Vietnam, people think about family even when they yeah, like, they're going through it already. You know, I have a cousin. He's like only one year older than me. He has two kids already, uh, almost you know, grown. And, and, and so everything is. Yeah. yeah, and the reason for that is because of generational st generation staying together. You know, you have your grandparents, your parents, and the and the children all living in one yeah. house. You can afford to pursue your masters and have two kids at right. the same time. Right, and so my point is really what comes with that is you have to take responsibility much earlier here in in Asia, mm. and not just for yourself. Right, in the West we are much more individualistic in, in our thinking. We earn enough to pay our own rent. That's fine, you know, our parents don't have to take care of us. We are independent. But here in Vietnam, what I perceive is a child will earn for themselves, but they will still try to earn more in order to cover their family just in case there's an emergency or anything. And they will try to earn more to, you know, take care of their grandparents and their extended family as well. It's almost never enough. You always want to have that safety buffer, right? And you don't have that um you know, you don't have time to, to waste on, on finding yourself or, you know, traveling yeah. the world or anything like that, you know. And so you really take responsibility in, in, in early years already. And that makes you grind harder, work harder as well. And just being more conscious about uh, overall life as well, because you soon want to have family and kids 
this is ideally before thirties, right? Um, as a woman, I think it's it's even early early twenties when you yeah. when you small town. Right. So all of these factors also contribute to you just working harder because life is just more more serious for you. What does it mean to be Vietnamese to you nowadays? It's a it's a very deep question. I think um, something I I ran a podcast as well and I asked these questions to to my guests as well. It's it's so hard to to answer because it's so complex. Um, to me, being Vietnamese, you know, I could I could list attributes and and what makes us very Vietnamese. But to me, it's something um, very very personal. Um, I'm for me Vietnamese. Being Vietnamese really means, okay, I think the really the best way to, to answer this is to really list some attributes of and traits of Vietnamese, which I really deeply believe is, is grounded in, in our culture, right? And it's really the combination of those. And that is one, um, really hardworking and persistent. We are very, you know, and I hear this from many Westerners as well who's, who, um, know Vietnam from, from uh, history and who read on, on history. We are a very persistent nation. We have gone through many things. And I think this also might, you know, um, have transferred through generations in us being just very, um, very persistent. You know, that's one thing. The other thing also coming with that is we are very, um, you know, hopeful and optimistic in a sense. And that sort of sentiment, I feel a lot, in Vietnam, you know, people working hard, people also looking forward to, to a better, um, better future. And also coming with that, then people are not very regretful, you know, they, they don't look back a lot, they um, don't hold any grudges towards the past and are, are really um, just all sort of tying and working together towards yeah. a, a better, um, yeah, better future for, for all of us. That's, um, the third thing, and maybe the fourth thing, really tying this all together, is is some sense of national pride as well. And this comes mostly, you know, after time because, of course, we are biased, you know. But, but me trying to be as objective as I can, the Vietnamese culture is just so so beautiful and so so rich and so so many things that we can appreciate, right? And I, you know, I, I hang out with Vietnamese a lot, but also um, non-Vietnamese who say the cuisine is just top notch. It's yeah. It's it's everything about our culture and, and our people. There's so much to be just proud of. And I think the more we, we grow up and the more we take time to really dig deep into our own uh, heritage, the more we just realize how, how you know, beautiful being Vietnamese is. And so I think everyone just carries some portion of that, that pride within themselves, or at least I hope. <laughs> yeah. Now, how would people find um, your membership or the events uh, for overseas Vietnamese? How do we get more information? So the best way to get all information is just to go on overseasvietnamese.com. Um, there you will get access to our LinkedIn group. There you will get access to our Facebook group and to our local WhatsApp groups as well. And we are now in a very um, exciting stage where we start to roll out and structure things much, much more. And so um, you will hear about us if you're on on either of those platforms and there will be uh, a lot of events and and things happening in in your local city as well or close to you and so uh overseas vietnamese will come 
Quang, thank you so much for coming on today. I, you know, learned a lot about uh, the differences of, you know, Europe, Germany, Singapore, Vietnam, and it, it gives us a broader view of the culture of Vietnam and how it's sort of all coming together for the future. So thank you so much for sharing all the stories that you you came on with today. Thanks so much. Really enjoyed it. Your questions make me made me think. Um, and yeah, I could talk days and, and, and weeks about these topics. But yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Vietnamese with Kenneth Nguyen. Special thanks to Brittany Tran, to Jane Nguyen, Catherine Nguyen, Tina Pham, Sydney Jamie, and Christo Trin. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at The Vietnamese Podcast. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.